Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 347, featuring Steve Griffith, Vice President of Production over at Legend. You guys will notice that Kristen is not with me today. She is on a vacation, so that means that I have to fly solo. But I do miss her and I wish her wish you'd come back soon because she does so much for the podcast and contributes so much to helping it run smoothly. And uh, let's just put it this way. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be very happy when she returns. Uh, but I'm glad she's having a, a nice vacation as well. Uh, so anyway, back to the podcast. This is uh, Steve Griffith. We were talking about Steve Griffith and I've known him for a very long time. I knew him back at Digital Domain. It seems like a lot of my stories start that way. But, uh, you know, he and I worked together at DD, and we worked also at a place called Speedshape uh, together. But uh, he's, in, you know, he's worked at a ton of places, Rodeo FX, MPC, Luma Pictures, Atomic Fiction, and uh, uh, right now he's at Legend. He's always been on the production side of things and a really, really good perspective on that. So we talk about the business of visual effects in a lot of ways as a, as a you know, some, a, produ- a producer and head of, uh, head of production and the, that kind of role that he ha- he's had. And it was really good to see, you know, his insight on where the business is going of visual effects. So uh, really like that, including uh, his conversation his take on virtual production, what that really means, LED walls. He's really got a lot of uh, thoughts on that process as well as AI. So we really get into it and it was really great to sit down with Steve and chat for a little bit. Well, virtually sit down with him, but it was really, really cool to to catch up with him and to see all those amazing things. Now, we don't have any specific uh, announcements of any specific events that are happening right now uh, or coming up, but I do want to say that uh, uh, on Thursday, last Thursday, I was over at the Emmys with Vlado and some of the other chaosers uh, and where Vlado wa- was able to receive on behalf of chaos an Emmy for the astounding achievements that V-Ray has done and con- contributed to the broadcast world. So super happy to have him on board and uh, to have him here in town to be able to uh, you know share that moment with him. I couldn't be more proud of uh, of chaos and all the amazing things that it's done. So thank you again to the uh, to the Emmys for uh, you know allowing us to receive this award and for inviting us to be there. So it was really really a great event and a really great honor as well. So thanks again. But without any further ado, let's get to the podcast. Episode number three hundred and forty seven, featuring Steve Griffith, Vice President of Production at Legend. Welcome to another CG Garage. Where the chaos group talks You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops We're gonna fire off rays In high dynamic range We know that ambient occlusion is passe Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has for now. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised by them. Actually, the, you know, it's funny. AirPods has worked out better than some of my over-the-ear headphones, but it depends on my mic. Like you have a pretty nice mic. Yeah, this is this is a this is a mic for for podcasting. <laughs> I've had this for year, since the beginning. Seven years, man. I've been doing this podcast. <laughs> wow. I thought it was longer. I, it feels like longer. It's but yeah, it's cool. Y- yeah, yeah, it's been it's been it's been a while since I've, uh, I've been doing this. But okay, speaking yeah. of which, we got to go. So I can't wait to tell people or have you tell people your amazing origin story backstory because it goes 
I don't know how you went from all the things that you've done in your past to getting into visual effects to doing all the way to where you are now. It's a huge journey. And let's get, unpack this a little bit. Let's, young Steve Griffiths, where, where were young you growing Steve up? Young Steve Griffiths? Yeah. Yeah. So – Baby Griff, uh, I was uh, so, so I, I grew up in Oregon, Minnesota, right. Oregon, and then I went to school at the Uni- Oregon State University, um, where it was uh, I, I had a business degree. Um, but in the middle of all okay. that, I, I I came down and worked in Los Angeles t- for Centropolis for a little bit, um, okay. and uh, you know it was I think the first time. It was for a summer, and then I came down for another summer, and anyway, I cut my teeth on Centropolis, and okay. it was the the Matrix sequels and a couple other projects. Uh, you know, they were this is before I think Matrix shut down right in the middle of the the uh, Matrix sequels. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then um, then I came back and worked for Digital Domain. Uh, it was Peter Pan. It was Christina Reed was a producer. Okay. Uh, I think Mark Mark Forker was the VFX soup. Yes, and. Uh, and then rolled on to Stealth and Flags for Our Fathers. And then I was at Sony Image Works doing, um, uh, I think I worked on uh, Lion Wish in the Wardrobe. And oh, then, right. And then Speed Shape. And that's where we got to know each other. So so you were you were at Sony around the same time, I guess I was, because I was there on Ghost Rider. So, yeah, it was around, yeah. it was, yeah, yeah, Lion Wish was around that same time. Right, and yeah, you were doing we, bl- beavers, and there's a lot of beavers that you guys were working on, right? <laughs> yep, yep, and wolves, and also, yep. I mean, it, it was, it was, yeah. That, those, I remember, those, I, I remember at some point we were doing something silly between the two shows because we were doing all these heads on fire, right? So we would take a <laughs> shot, we were taking a shot from Lion Witch at Wardrobe that had the beavers, and we would light their heads on fire and send sure. it to your dailies. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't remember those dailies, but our dailies were interesting with all the conversations of you know having them you know go and like they were in the rivers and there was wolves and anyway it was it was. Uh, Yep, and, and, and Jim Bernie was great. He was a great VFX soup. Uh, he was the. It was, it was a great team. Uh, yeah, I actually I've enjoyed every place I've worked at. Um, I thought Sony was a great place. And but what got you into visual effects? Like, why did you say, "Hey, I want to do movies"? Like from Oregon. <laughs> well, uh, so, so my my aunt and uncle uh, had been in the industry. Uh, Gil Gagnon uh, had been running uh, Cinesite for a number of years, oh, and then he okay. was uh, then he was a, a VP of post production at Disney. And then my aunt, Ray Griffith, was at DreamWorks for a while, had uh, been with, had been Jerry Brunkheimer's VFX producer for a while. And, you know, so, so th- they were industry folks and, and they uh, introduced me to some people that they knew at Centropolis and that's how I got to know the Centropolis folks. So, yeah. Got it. Okay. So that's how you, I was like, I was like how did you do that? Because I think you were, you were working a police force at one point too, weren't you? I, I was a, as a, so right when I, when I was going to school in Oregon, I, I was uh, a deputy in the sheriff's department for two years. Uh, wow. It, it paid better than the on-campus jobs. So <laughs> I, 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 I had known the, the, the sheriff at the time. Um, I had worked with him on an Eagle Scout project when I was in high school. And so, oh, okay. um, so you know, they, that, that's how I got recruited. Yes, I remember because I used to have problems where I was like trying to figure out how to w- get myself out of a ticket, and then you would tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a pretty good track record for a while. I had, I'd gotten mm-hmm. like, you know, twelve out of fourteen people out of tickets at one point when I, <laughs> w- when I was living in L.A. And then, of course, I you know I've been been to other countries and stuff. I right. Uh, 
it, it yeah. still works. It still works. The system works. has has a little bit of a hole in it. So yeah, I think it was. I think it was uh, Niederhorst got, was getting a ticket for doing a U turn, and he said, "Well, if there's a driveway there, you could probably get your way out of it." <laughs> it's like, it's like, yes, tell me what to do. What, what do I tell the cops? <laughs> it helps. It helps have a little bit of an inside you know, scoop, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So, but, but you're right. You know, it's like, we've known each other for a very long time. Peter Pan was around the same time, was at the end of day after tomorrow. And then I think mm-hmm. you worked on iRobot as well, or did you work on iRobot? Around it. I mean, that's when I was, so the reason I was involved in iRobot was because we, you know, between, uh, I was on the production team that was helping out with uh, the DD's asset management <laughs> network, right? When right. It was the dam system. And I was working with Jeff and Darren to help, do a, a UI interface for production and all the production tools. And so, yep. and also the rendering and everything. So we were working on, you know, all, you know, combining all the pipeline tools across all the projects. Cause up at the, up until then DD each show had been its own Island from pipeline. And we we're trying yeah. to have a unified pipeline across all shows. So that's probably where we bumped in is, is I was going to all the shows working with all sure. the different soups and stuff, but. Yeah, and and you were you were also working obviously closely with Rob Niederhorst, which is when we all reconnected at Speedshape. Yeah, but I believe you were one of the people who was basically saying, "Hey, why don't we try this V-Ray thing for this Nine Inch Nail video?" Is that right? Well, so what what happened was on Stealth, uh, mm-hmm. Vern Vern was you know trying to figure out how to render planes quicker and faster. And, uh, and then of course the first person we came to was you and, and Rob and, and it was like, Hey, what this V-Ray thing? It's, it's amazing. And then, then eventually the nine inch nails kind of spun out of that. But, right. um, but I think actually, I can't remember if it was nine inch nails or, or stealth that came first, but it started the definitely v- stealth, stealth. stealth yeah. started the V-Ray conversation because, you know, at, at that time it, it was, it was for some reason, right. It was mm-hmm. more difficult for us to do hard surface, you know, get, get to 80% in hard surface than it was to do other things. And, and right. it was like, th- this should be really easy. Why, why are we having a hard time? If V-Ray can do it in 15 minutes, well, why, why is it taking our other, you know, mental Ray or, or render man longer? So right. anyway, yeah, it, 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 it's kind of when everyone was, you know, V-Ray had a couple of demos out there and it was blowing people's but this minds. This is 2003, right? So yeah. V-Ray was very young on the market, yeah. like like one year. <laughs> what I remember though was even in that first year, they had, someone had put out a, a video of like this wine glass in a kitchen falling or something like that. And right. everyone was going bananas over that. Right. But there was like, also the there was also one shot of a plane that was not rendered in V-Ray, but it was a, a plane that was just flying yes, that was right. rendered in Brazil, I believe. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. It was like, yeah. whoa, hey, and then and then Brazil that yeah, was done right. by Rune Spawn, I believe, as the guy who yeah. did it, who's still around. I actually saw him do some stuff now, but but he did it in Brazil, Brazil, and we were looking at that, and we're like. Why can't we figure out how to render a plane properly? And this guy just yeah. did it in his basement somewhere in Sweden. Right. We're freaking digital domain, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, that's funny. Yeah. I haven't thought about Brazil in a long time, but you're right. That was a big part of the conversation. Yeah. I think they think what it was that they did a skunk work thing, and you probably remember this. It was with mm-hmm. Lightwave, RenderMan, Brazil, and V-Ray. And that's right. And, right. So, yeah. And, and we're, and, and so I was trying to put together all the data for Darren and, and yeah, there's like this small little team that had kind of reps from commercials and features. And we were just trying to basically propose something to the studio that said, Hey, look, let's rethink how we're rendering. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
yeah, it was, uh, I remember it was a big deal. It was a lot of politics involved. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Anytime you get, uh, uh, renders involved, it's what, what yeah. did Vern say is like, man, when you got two people talking about different renders that I start fighting, it's like Shiites and Sunnis, man. It's not oh, a yeah. good time. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, you had your <laughs> diehard lightwave guys and your, you know, I mean, it was, it was, yeah. it was, uh, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Anyway. All right. So, so we got, we reconnected at a, a, a little, uh, basically a, a kind of a startup satellite office of something called speed shape. We're going to work on cars. That was the big thing we were doing. And we only, I was only there for, I think maybe like nine months or something like that, but, uh, it was very interesting, but you have since worked at some of the biggest studios and done most of the work and really exposed yourself through a lot of the, the different uh, pipelines and businesses out there. And your business background has been very interesting. So let's give people a little bit of an overview sure. of all the different places you've, you've gone and what kind of projects you're working on. And then I want to, want to get into the state of the industry with you from that perspective, sure. because that would be great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, look, I, I, uh, SpeedShape was a great opportunity because it, you know, helped me understand how businesses run. Cause it was a bit of a startup, but it was not cause it was an off, you know, it was a, it was a, kind of a satellite office for a Detroit company, but, you know, it was, you know, Rob and myself and, you know, uh, Carl, we're all building a business together. You know, we grew right. it from three to, I think we had 25 people at, you know, it was, you know, and we're doing commercial work and, sure. you know, we, we did that uh, Blackbird spot for Joe Kaczynski and, you know, mm -hmm. it was some, some really exciting work. Um, anyway, from there I went to Luma pictures and I was, I was at Luma for a long time and, and that's been one of my favorite experiences. I really, Loved working at Luma. Still love those guys. Um, they're they're a great shop. Uh, do really good work. And from from Luma, you know they they were very artist run. I mean, uh, their their producers were also technology and and creatives, right? So I was the first time that I think they had hired like a true production person. And 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 so you know it was the we started hiring coordinators and started building out our pipeline. And then we grew and. Um, and I, I was with Luma for quite a while and, and, and really left really because I wanted to pursue a software startup. And so, um, did a software startup where we were basically building uh, VFX pipeline tools for the cloud. Okay. Um, where was and, that? And, uh, so we, we, it was started in LA and then we, we was like, do we, do our software development in Silicon Valley or the Silicon Slope? So we went out to uh, Utah and and look, it was short lived for me. Um, okay. You know, I think investors wanted to do one thing, and I, 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 you know, we wanted to do something very tailored to the VFX industry, and they wanted something a little bit broader. And so, you know, whatever they they went their way, and I went my way. But it was a good experience because you know it it I I think it was a little early, right? Like the studios okay. MPA weren't ready to work <clears throat> on the cloud back in 2011. And it just it just wasn't something that was adopted, and right. so doing doing a whole like our, ours was black box pipeline in the cloud. You you log in and you have all the tools that you would at a, at a major VFX studio, right. and and you can you do visual effects as an individual. You can tie into other people. I mean, it's kind of where the industry is going. It's cloud based visual effects computing. Yeah, and, and but 2011 I, it was pretty ahead of its it was. time. People yeah. didn't people didn't understand security and that it could be they didn't understand thin clients and and how you could utilize and and honestly people's you know the latency back then and broadband wasn't everywhere so like mm. it just it was a little early um, mm. and so I went back and worked for Luma in uh, Australia for a while 
Uh, oh, a little bit challenging. Wow. Yeah. Did I mean, you, did you like, move there? <laughs> I did. Yeah. I moved the whole yeah. family to Australia. Um, wow. uh, we, we took a, a little hiatus in Nashville because my wife's a musician. And so she, she did some, some workout in Nashville and that was just for a short period. And then we moved to Australia and it was, it was great. Uh, uh we, while I was there, we, uh, helped co-produce an animated television series plus a bunch of, you know, Marvel and uh, studio work and visual effects. And, you know, about half the studio was in Melbourne and half the studio was in, in Santa Monica. Um, I ended up coming back to the States. It was, it was a really hard year. Personally, my wife was going through chemo at the time. She's fine now, but you know, oh, it was wow. a really, it was, it was, it was a rough year. So, um, and it was, you know, it's really far away from family being in, in, in Australia. So, you know, just not a lot of support. So we came back and took a break and, uh, did some work for Wyden Kennedy up in Portland for a bit. Um, then was recruited to go up to MPC up in uh, Vancouver okay. and uh, actually loved working for MPC. Um, we worked on Justice League and a bunch of other little projects uh, and uh, then went out to uh, Montreal, uh, worked for Atomic Fiction, uh, worked on Welcome to Marwin, loved Atomic Fiction. Uh-huh. Um it was right towards the end of Welcome to Marwin that they were being acquired by Deluxe. And, you know, at that right. time, I was really enjoying working for like that midsize boutique company mm-hmm. um, and just was a little unsure about, you know, going back to work for another big company. And, and of course, in Montreal, the, the market is so, um, there's just a lot of demand for people. Uh, from, from production to artists, uh, you know, and so, you know, everyone's being pulled from different studios. And so I, I went over to Rodeo. Um, and, uh, worked as head of production over at Rodeo, which is a, again, fan, I, I think every company I've worked for, I've had a, just a really great experience. I love the people over at Rodeo. They've got a, a great pipeline. It reminded me a lot of Luma where it was kind of, I mean, they were, they were larger than Luma. Um, right. and they had, they had, again, we had, we had multiple locations, right? We had a German location, Germany location, Los Angeles, two locations in Quebec, but you know, everyone there was just really lovely people. Sebastian's a, a great owner of the company and, and, um, and we worked on a lot of projects, a lot of great projects, worked on stranger things and a bunch of studio projects. And so we had, we had 10 different production teams working on 14 different projects at one time. And, and, um, and, and just their, their technical background, like their, their, their pipeline and, and the, and the people that, that are running it, um, from both the 2d and 3d aspect are just, they're just really smart and just really great people to work for. Um, uh, we at the time when we were in Vancouver, we had um, fostered a ten-year-old boy. Okay. And in Vancouver, it was uh, you know he's in a situation. Uh, it's kind of crazy. His mom had had six kids, and he and they had been taken away by the state, and then his mom had another six kids, and so Ocean, who we fostered for a while, um, was the oldest of that second round of six kids, and. And, uh, there were some, just some struggles at home and, and we didn't want to see, you know, they were, they were, this family was like friends of friends and we didn't want to see them taken over by the, by the state again and start that whole process. And so, you know, w- what was supposed to be three weeks ended up turning into three years and Ocean ended up following us to Montreal and we had him for the two years that we were in Montreal. And, um, you know, we, he, you know, there was, for a bunch of different reasons, he had to move back home to, to Vancouver, right. To be closer okay. to his mom. Um, and I mean, we, there was a trial where he was actually going to live with his mom for a little bit. And anyway, that, that, um, uh, it was, it was, it was hard. We, we, we had, you know, been with him for three years and, um, 
And so we, we wanted to be in the same time zone and closer in case there needed to be support. And we didn't really want to go back to Vancouver. And there was an, an opportunity came up with legend, um, okay. which is here in, in Los Angeles. And, and so we took that opportunity cause it brought us into, brought us back to LA and, uh, was a, we're, you know, we've still, we're still close with ocean and, and we're right. able to maintain that relationship. And anyway, the, um, that, that's how I got back to LA. And so I've been working with legend for a couple of years and, um, and that's where I'm at right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now you've, you've, that's really amazing. Uh, you've always been an extremely kind person to everyone around you. Oh, uh, that thanks. is in your nature. <laughs> you're also a very entertaining person. You always have a good joke about everything. So I really, I, I love being around you, Steve, because he always yeah. makes me feel good. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but that's, 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 that's very, that's very cool that you're back in LA and you, you've done that stuff. Uh, but uh, through that immense journey that you've taken and the different locations and the different companies you've had, you've had a very broad view of the industry. Uh, and a very broad look at everything that's going on. And so what I think would be really great is if you could share some of the thoughts about like, what is, what have you seen as trends uh, from the past to now? And how do you think that's going to affect our future in some way? What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen since, you know, the early days of, you know, uh, Matrix and Peter Pan to now, right? I mean, we were already talking about the struggle of sure. picking the right renderer, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. back then. But then, like, how, has that changed much through the years? And what's going on now? Well, like, what are, what are some of the things you've seen that are driving the business, especially on the, on the, on the technology and business side? Yeah, well, you know, from my side, a lot of it is, you know, as a, as a producer or executive producer, it's the financial side. So incentives has probably been one of the biggest things. And tax incentives, more specifically. Tax right? incentives and and the globalization of, of talent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's, our industry refers to it as outsourcing, but it's not really outsourcing anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. just like every other industry, we're now a global market, Right. Um, as, as everyone is more connected and as the labor, I mean, the way that I see it, I I don't know. I used to feel very differently about globalization, right? Like, Hey, we should just keep all the jobs here, but we are Hollywood. We are LA, but Mm -hmm. there's talent everywhere, right? Who's to say that someone that, you know, grows up in the States and finds, you know, uh, their way into visual effects and learns how to become a visual effects artist. Who's to say that we should favor anybody here versus anywhere else that has a skill set, right? Like if we truly are a talent-based industry, we should allow talent to be nurtured and utilized wherever it is. Um, I understand that there's a downside to it because, you know, I mean, I'm in LA, I've been in LA, but now that I've been everywhere and I've seen Mm -hmm. that there's talented artists in Australia and India and Canada and London and, and there's just, there's talent everywhere. And I think everyone deserves around the globe to work on movies. And so I've had a slightly different perspective on the globalization of talent. Yeah. I mean, Apple manufactures in China because it's cheaper. Right. But we're manufacturing globally because there's, because one, there's cost benefits and two, there's talent everywhere. Right. And so, You know, I think it's important. I mean, it's hard. Montreal, even within Montreal, was hard to find people, right? So, yeah. like, there's just some balancing. I, and, and I get both sides too. I just think that, you know, at some point we're a global community, right? We're right. a global community of artists and and VFX technologists. And so, 
at some point, I think it's, it's, it's healthy to have artists everywhere. But do you think it was hard on you and your family? Because you uh, obviously you led a very nomadic life, right? In a lot of ways, you're going. From that was my choice. Make... Yeah. Okay. So, so like we we could have stayed put, right? I, I at, at every one of the, these opportunities, you know, I could have stayed where I was at, and we could have settled in. But you know, we we up until recently, I've had a young family, and and right. you know, it was we've wanted to experience and give them perspective, and so all the choices we made have really been based on in part wanting to be in other new places and see the world. Um, and, and we wouldn't give it, it's been challenging. I mean, are my kids probably have some PTSD over moving so many times, but, but at the same time, they've also see the benefit to it. Um, but you know, so, so, you know, look, tax incentives and, and the globalization of visual effects, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, the other part is like, you know, I think most of, you know, the, the, we, you know, it's, it's no, secret that there's a condon you know that that are that there's been condensation of companies right and you have you know even Deneg um or, or whatever uh, uh prime focus and um technical are some of the, you know, the two largest companies out there deluxe you know and right. and you know companies like dd who used to be the largest are now not the largest Companies like ILM and, and Weta, who used to be the largest, are now, you know, uh, smaller compared to Double DNEG and, and MPC, and hmm. and so, you know, it's that's a, that's a huge industry shift. You know, they're not any, right. they're all great companies. They all produce fantastic work, have great VFX soups, but it's right. just a, it's just different, right? And so, you know, the the landscape of of you know VFX company ownership is very different than it was when I first started out. And, you know, companies going out of business, companies starting, you know, there's a lot of boutique houses and, you know, there's just, there's also more demand. Like the, the demand for VFX has gone crazy over, over, you know, last 20 And years. what do you think is driving that demand? Obviously, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Marvel films are being done like every week, but there's also like, obviously, do you think streaming has had a huge effect on, on everything yeah. right now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, con- the demand for content's gone up and and the look transparent visual effects when people start realizing more things they can do with visual effects the whole fixed and post thing that you know we that you now don't have to pre-plan for things and that you can just mm-hmm. go you can always just think about it afterwards I, you know that's a lot of what we do is the whole transparent visual effects and um and so it's just utilized more in different areas and 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 i think that on top of superhero films being so huge. And I mean, that's been a lot of where our work goes. So, right. you know, for a lot of reasons, streaming, more application, big, big budget films that are driving audiences, right? People started seeing that, you know, the Harry Potters and the superhero films were bringing audiences to come because they liked, they liked what we do. Right. And, um, you know, I think that's an important factor is that, you know, our, our, our talent pool is what's driving you know, the growth in the market too. It's driving awesome. up revenue for studios, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's true. I think that's really a great, a great point. Uh, I, I'm curious about it, obviously. I want to know, you know, what this really means for us. Um, but um, there's there's something about uh, the way that, that we've been doing things recently that seems a little bit different than we've been doing it in the past. I think uh, there, you know, like you said, there's a lot of, uh, there's the, there is that conversation of fixing it in post, as you mentioned, 
But I have a feeling now, specifically with with some of the things that are going on in the idea of virtual production, that that fix it in post is something that we're going to try to change a little bit, so we can mm-hmm. fix it in virtual production in basically in in the camera, right? In do you think? Yeah. yeah do you think? What do you think? What do you think the impact of of virtual production is, or what's your general thoughts about virtual production at, uh, on this side? Well, it's and I'm not just talking issue. about LED walls. I'm talking about the whole yeah. virtual production yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, I, I, you know, companies like MPC really spearheaded, you know, virtual art department, and mm-hmm. you know, especially in projects like Lion King and and you know, companies like Profile and and you know, you just you just read Epics, you know, four one one you know, on, on virtual production and you see all, you know, it, a lot of it is non led wall base. And a lot of it is this virtual art department and, mm-hmm. and, and other, there's so many, it's, it's very ubiquitous, right? You know, there's a lot of applications for, for what we call virtual production. But the idea is that I think in general is that you have a better idea of what you're producing before it's done, right? You're putting more thought into pre-production the, the the director and the cinematographer and everyone is is seeing what you're going to get sooner right which i think helps a creative make a better movie right i right. I, I think you know there's there's some i guess there's some advantages in fix it and post but if you can pre-plan and i mean look we you and i've worked with directors that that know what they're know what they want right yeah. i mean like joe working with clint eastwood <laughs> right you know oh, clint right. eastwood he knew exactly what he wanted and yep. very, very few things, you know, deviated from the path. Like it was just really, it was a really easy director to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when we worked with the Cohen brothers, they, you know, they, they, they knew what they wanted. They had, they had a lot of uh, planning that went into the movies that they produced and, and, and that that's refreshing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think virtual production brings aspects to that too, which look, I understand the, the reason to want to change everything later, but it's expensive. It's really expensive. So, you know, and, and I think if you can, if, I think if you're more informed earlier, you can make better decisions, right? If you're it, like, like a good example of virtual art department, right? You're seeing your camera moves and things being rendered in real time. And you're seeing a bit of your movie being made. It's like real time pre-visualization, right? So if you're, if you're directing your previs and seeing it as you're doing it, I, I can only imagine as a director, I'm not a director, but I can only imagine a director that that would help you with your edit, right? Because now you have something to edit with rather than shooting and then editing, right? So, right. you know, all these things should be creative tools that we grow and expand on projects because it makes us be better filmmakers. It helps us create a better product. I mean, we're in a product making industry, right? Movies are right. products and the better the product is, the more audience you're going to have, the more you're going to sell and the more shareholders are going to be happy, right? So <laughs> ultimately, right? if we use tools like virtual production, we'll make better products. And in, and the usage of LEDs or the LED walls gives you, I think a better in-camera product, right? I mean, a good example, I, I've even seen recent movies that have green screens and I look at them like, we've done better green screens a decade ago, uh, you know, as far as like a final composite, right? There's just mm-hmm. things that come out that are, are kind of cringy. And you look at mm-hmm. it and you're like, I, I, we could be, we could be doing better. And green screens are challenging. I'm not saying I'm not giving people a hard time. It's just, you know, it, 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 they have to be lit right. 
Um, yeah, and that's really hard it, to light a good green screen and light the character the way you want yeah. it at the same time. I mean, I'm looking at your glasses. I can see everything <laughs> in your reflection, right? I mean, like right. I can see the rest of your living room in in, <laughs> in your in your in your glasses, right? And so right. it's hard not to to you have to deal with that with green uh-huh. screens. Whereas mm-hmm. what an LED volume gives you is real lighting, and right. and that's just something that it it just takes the edge off of studio based photography. And so when you're in a studio and you have to come up with, you know, you have to light things the way that we're used to lighting things in the studio, the LEDs give you exterior lighting, interior lighting, the way that it properly should be lit. And that's just, that's an exciting step in what we, what what I guess we call in-camera visual effects or in-camera compositing, right? So, you know, I just see the whole virtual production with or without LEDs as an extension of the visual effects process that we're already doing. Right. It's just now you're spending a little more time up front, but you're getting more feedback sooner. Well, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily new technology in some ways, right? Because right. really in-camera VFX is great for lighting, as you as you mentioned, right? And it also makes, you know, certainly the, the, the green screen halo behind you kind of an easier thing to deal with, right? Uh, but we used to have something called rear projection. <laughs> it was yeah. basically the same thing, right? It is. It's modern-day rear projection. It's modern-day rear projection. Uh, it, it's got some cool effects like parallax, and it's definitely right, much brighter than rear projection. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really kind of a, a, a great thing. And in fact, you know what? I do remember, now, I, I, like I've told this story before, but on Oblivion, when we were, and I worked on Oblivion, right? Right. And Oblivion had a similar situation. Now, it wasn't an LED wall, but they basically made it these series yeah. of projectors uh, to uh, to basically show the sky outside the uh, outside the house, or outside the apartment, or the yeah the house. And it it was a house that was all glass and shiny floors, <laughs> right? They wanted to put all green screen back there, so we told them like. As a visual effects company, we said that's a terrible idea, and we did a CG house and put a bunch of green screen back there and says, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to be a nightmare, and they're like, oh. So we actually did a CG version of it to showcase why we don't want them to give us more work (laughs) (laughs) because the work was going to be so hard. And in fact, I remember actually, I was lucky enough to, to, to hang out with uh, Mr. Cruz himself. And he was saying, it's like, it was the most beautiful thing to be in that environment, to see those skies through those projectors, because it gave me the feeling of being where I wanted to be. Sure. Right. And so the talent seems to really appreciate being lit by the environment that they f- want to be in, you know, as opposed to yeah. just this massive blue background and say, good luck. <laughs> Try well, to imagine the rest. There was a similar experience on murder on the Orient express, right. Oh, where, right. where it was, uh, you know, they, they had two options. They, they could have shot on green screen and how to deal with reflections and everything for, because the entire movie was on this train. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember I was at, um, um, uh, at NPC at the time. Mm-hmm. And we got all of these massive plates that we had to stitch together in this really short period of time. And when I first heard about the LED walls, I was like, Oh, come on. You know, <laughs> this can't be where we're at. Like we're putting all this content onto a TV and oh, let's just do a green screen. And then, and then I was sold because we saw the results, right? The right. results were amazing. You, you couldn't tell. And right. it, it would have been, it would have been a nightmare in green screen. And so mm-hmm. it was the right call, you know, and, um, 
you know, there's a, a lot of people that uh, worked on that. There's a, you know, a, a whole team that designed and built those LED walls. Uh, Fred, Fred Waldman, uh, Bob Finley, you know, that, uh, that, that did the engineering behind it. And, and, and it was, it was, you know, one of the largest um, LED volumes to be used on a major motion film to date at that time. Uh, mm-hmm. There have been other things, but that that was a it was a major accomplishment and and kind of a, a precursor to to Mandalorian, right? Which has gotten gotten a lot of attention recently. Which also Fred Waldman and his team worked on, and right. and you know that was just the next evolution, which added in camera parallax and everything that ILM's done to date. And um, I, I just you know it's it's you know again it's an evolving technology, right. Yeah. From I think, Oblivion all the way through where they're at. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, now Oblivion didn't have parallax. It just had big screens right. that were outside. So. And same thing with, with, with murder, murder on express. It, there was no parallax, but it right. was very, you know, it, but it was moving content. Right? Sure. But and, in some cases, but, like you, I mean, you can almost, you can actually, you know, I just remembered, like look at what they did on, uh, on, um, on gravity. Gravity was a yeah. similar thing, right. In a lot of ways. Same team. Uh, same team. Say it. Yep. All right, there you go. So it yep. all, <laughs> it all makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so obviously, you know, everywhere I'm looking, everyone is trying to build LED walls in some ways. And there's a huge, from what I've heard, uh, a lot of people saying, I just bought all these LED panels. I don't know what to do with them. Can you help me put these things together? Like there's people that, there's a huge demand for people trying to figure out how to get this up and running. There is obviously going to be an impact on the industry using these systems, but do you think this demand is uh, going to increase peak? Like where, where do you think the, 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 the demand for this stuff is going to go? It, this is, a, this is a, a, an evolved visual effects tool, right? That's being, you know, now instead of us being in the last nine months of production, we're now the first three to six months or first nine, whatever we're at the beginning now. Right. And, and as, I believe that as, as creatives start utilizing this tool more and understanding how to use it, that it will start to be used just as commonly as visual effects is being used, as, okay. as traditional visual effects processes are being used. Um, so the demand is going to go up as people understand how to use the technology. Right now, there's just not a lot of people. Um, so, you know, the, you know, I, you know, I have no, I have no doubt that um, it's an educational thing at this point, right? Creatives, directors, cinematographers, you know, uh, production designers and visual effects supervisors and producers need to understand and executives just need to understand how this stuff works. What does it, right. what are the limitations? What are the, what are the things that, um, what are the advantages? Cause there's, it's, it's on both sides. There's both advantages and, um, disadvantages to using the technology. I think the right. advantages outweigh the disadvantages and, and, and it really depends on what you're trying to shoot. Right. Um, yep. but, uh, there, there's some, there's some, you know, having an eight hour sunset, right. Is, is, or, or, or not, or, uh, you know, eight hour golden hour, eight hour, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever that, whatever that, that, that golden perfect hour, time yeah. golden yeah. hour. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, um, yeah, look, it's, it's going to go up. Um, and, and, and the teams that know how to do it, will start educating other people. And then, then you'll have less people asking, what do I do with all these panels? But it's, it's, there are a lot of people out there that don't know what they're doing. 
And so no, I know, I know. That's in. what I'm. That's what I'm getting at. Is it like you know? Obviously, you've you've thought about this for a while. You've been you've worked at all these studios. You've seen all this stuff, and you know all the you, you know all the teams, as you said. But I yeah. think there's some people who's like, I just need to like I've heard the term from. Remember Lou Pecora? I don't know if you remember Lou from. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lou was like, like someone came up to me and said. Can't we just Mandalorian this? And I'm like, he's like, what does that, what do you even mean? You don't even, it's like, oh, we can't go to the location. We'll just Mandalorian. It's like, you got to think of it more practically than that, like, or what, what it does. And I think this is a really great uh, way that you put it. And I love the fact that you said it's like, instead of being the last nine months, but the first three to six months, right? Because that means you're yeah. prepping for things, right? And one of the things that, you know, I used to think about or try to sympathize with directors is that. They do all this stuff. They do it in front of a giant blue screen or green screen, right? And then they don't even know what they really got after they shot it. <laughs> sure. And they just hand it over to a visual effects company and hope for the best, right? And then they're like, you know, there you go. But when they when they do it on a LED wall, they'll see it <laughs> yeah. for while they're shooting. So do you feel that that's going to change how they perceive CG in that way, because they haven't really been perceiving CG as this magical thing that goes out the other end and hope for the best. Well, yeah, that, and they'll have to approve those assets before they go on and shoot. Right. right. So instead of doing it as a post process, they're going to be doing it in pre-production. They're just, just like they're approving sets with the set designer. They're going to have to approve virtual sets with the right. virtual art department. And, and, you know, they'll also have material to edit with. They'll be able to have trailers sooner. They'll be able to have right. a work in progress, you know, edit before it takes three to six months for visual effects to do temps. So, right. you know, that whole ingesting of the plate and then selecting the plate, it's just all there. They have material to work with. You know, I, I think it's very similar to how the migration from film cameras to digital cameras, right? You can now have 60 takes a day instead of... 10 to 12, right? I mean, it's just, right. you know, whatever, whatever that was, there, there was a transition where you can now, um, the, the, the speed to which you can do things is accelerate. Your iteration cycle is accelerated. And, um, you know, with, with, with these, with these backgrounds, you can, there is some things you can change, right? I mean, you know, depending on if it's a full 3d, uh, set environment or whether it's a, um, a 2d environment, you, you can, you can change some things, right? I mean, mm -hmm. essentially this, in, this whole, it, it's like one pan and tile process. Mm -hmm. Your wall is basically your, 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 your pan and tile, right? right? And you can add layers in there. You can have, right. you know, a whole, uh, you know, a DMP that's broken out in layers and you can get parallax with a, like a two and a half D approach versus a 3D mm -hmm. approach. So it's really pretty versatile in terms of, you know, what, what you're trying to do from a, uh, from a creative standpoint, um, you want to add some birds flying around, you want to add some car. So it's, it's not like it's completely inflexible, right? Directors right. can make day of changes if they decide to do that. It just, you have to plan ahead for what you can and can't do. Right. And, um, you know, it, it's just, just like in, as this virtual art department, um, you know, the idea is to give the director some creative flexibility that you can do that. Um, right. So, I, I, and what you see is what you get. That's the other thing, right? You're you're designing the image for in cam in camera. So, you know, you may be on the stage looking at it, going, "Man, that just doesn't look real." But through the camera, it will, because that's what that's your comp. 
right? Right. And that, you know, that's your final image, and that's what you're designing things for. So it's interesting. It's just it's gonna t- it's a, it's a, it's a learning curve for everybody. Now the directors are going to have to learn what they can and can't change, right? And that's going to be something that they learn. But uh, at least they're part of the creative decision making at the time, that's right? right? Yeah, and look, I think you're going to get some directors that have some, oh man, I really was, was hoping to be able to do this. But what we're seeing is that most of the response is really positive. Wow. I can do this. And wow, I can do this. And this is exciting because I never, you know, again, they're, they're, they're used to traditional green screen process or um, having to fix it in post. And so to be able to see things in camera and have something right away, it's gratifying. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So what do you, what do you, what, what do you now, because of this, obviously, the, the, let's let's start talking about the impact of real time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Real time has to have an has to be sort of part of this world in some ways, and and be part of that process. How have you found? What are your thoughts on real time uh, technology in general, or where things are going in terms of how that's going to impact visual effects? Well, in and outside of virtual production, I think we as an as a community are impatient. Right, the right. whole putting your hat down, I'm waiting for my renders, you know, while you're taking a nap. I mean, that's always been our issue, right? Is rendering mm-hmm. and the time it takes. And now that um, rendering means your artists are having idle time, which means that, you know, as a visual effects company, you're always trying to tighten your margins and keep mm-hmm. your artists as efficient as possible. So the more that they're not waiting for renders, the more effective they are as, as artists, the more iterations you can send to the client, the shorter your timelines come. It's all means dollars, right? So the faster you render, the more margins you're going to have, which means the more efficient you're going to be and ultimately your bottom line. And as we as an industry start migrating to more cloud-based computing, you're paying for those. I mean, you're always paying for computing, but at, as a, as a um, variable cost, you know, Cloud computing costs money, right? And, and it's just a different. Um, it's just something you have to factor differently when you're when you have a seven hour render versus a half hour render. So mm-hmm. as we start doing real time renders or getting closer to that, as we do either GPU based or, or whatever based rendering, I think our industry benefits as a whole. It's just that that photorealism real time rendering has always been a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. There's it's you know we've for years now we get to a place where it looks like a great cinematic, but doesn't necessarily look photorealistic. And now we've broken through, right? There's, we're now seeing photorealistic rendering through real-time rendering. It's just not everything being done that way. How complex is your scene? Is there, do you have cloth simulation? Do you have hair dynamics? Do you have, you know, atmospherics? All those things add complexity to scenes that either make it so you have to not be photorealistic or it's not real-time. So... Right. But but that's that's our thing, right? We all want Ready Player One, right? Like as a concept, right? Mm-hmm. We all want to be able to have a world that just renders in real time, photorealistically, wherever we look, right? And so, you know, hopefully we get there. Yeah. Well, I think you know. Well, you know, you and I worked on movies like 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 Ghost Rider and 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 uh, sorry, uh, like iRobot, et cetera. And those are rasterized renders, right? And the thing That's is, right. you can make a rasterized render look photo real. It just takes a lot more time to make it look real, right? And that, to me, what I've been you know sort of saying is like the reason we moved to ray tracing wasn't necessarily that we couldn't get photorealism out of rasterized render. 
But just like the guy Rune Spawn who did the plane, you get there a lot faster and you don't need as much work yeah. to get there. <laughs> right? That's right. So ray tracing is not necessarily that it looks better, is it, it does look better, but it's that you don't have to work as hard to make it look better. Yeah. Right. So do you think that ray tracing what when like if you solve the ray tracing problem and the real time problem, are you done at that point? <laughs> Yeah, because what you see, it, 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 it's again from a producer aspect, you just want it to be done right away, right? You're right. iterative, even you know, honestly, in virtual production, you need things to be real time because you have latency issues. But in the visual sure. effects world, you want real time for your individual artist to get feedback immediately, and so you can put something into you, you want to get something to compositing right away. I think in yeah. our visual effects world, we're always gonna, no matter how photorealistic it gets out of 3d we're always going to want to noodle it right? right we always want to like adjust it and work with the client to do it's just like you know the best way i can describe it is even when you're on a real location shooting right we always mm -hmm. add lights right we always enhance the scene we add a key light here to make it look beautiful right, right. if we shot things just as things naturally were films wouldn't look as good Right. So even if we do things completely realistic and photorealistic in our rendering, we're always going to want to make it look the way we want it to look. Right. Directors will always want to have that control and creatives will. So, you know, the faster we can get that into compositing's hands and that finishing process, the better. So even if we got it into a minute, right, or whatever, it takes, you know, if, if 3D took as long as, right, it takes to do 2D rendering right now, that's even a huge accomplishment and we're, we're right. probably not that far away. Right. We're getting really close to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think, I think there's, there's a, there's a lot of things to think about what real time can do because the time between waiting from version from, from decision to decision, that's the thing that I think really kills people. And like, that's business, the thing that right? kills people. It's just, right. it's, it's iterations. The sooner right. you get iterations, the sooner you get feedback because it's that, feedback between an artist and their lead, the lead and the supervisor, the supervisor and their supervisor, the supervisor and the client, right? And so the quicker that whole feedback process happens, which is, you know, a lot of what times why people are utilizing the cloud, right? If you if right. you're not limited by the thousand processors that are on your local, you know, you know, system and you can tap into almost limitless processing, then you get feedback right away. And people are willing to pay for that because right. timelines are getting compressed people are making changes at the last minute, you know, I mean, we're, so as real time gets us there, I think the time to take, make movies will be compressed. Right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the reason why these major blockbuster films are so expensive is it takes so much time in post. Right. Yeah. So as we reduce that time, because our iterations, it will, we can do more movies per year. I also we think can, you make better decisions and better yeah. creative process because I yeah. remember like when I, again, this was ages and ages ago, but on Ghost Rider, I was still using, I was the last, was the last show at Sony to use burps, which was their, their <laughs> weird program for, for RenderMan, uh, their RenderMan interface. But it, the, in, in burps, because they're using RenderMan to move a light and you'd have to render a shadow map. So you, if you move the light, then you would basically have to go to the farm <laughs> and render out the shadow maps of that light before you could see the proper oh, results. See. Sure. And, and I was like, so I didn't move the light because I didn't want to have to deal with that process, which basically is not creative. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm not three days so, later. 
Yeah. It's like, why is it, do I have to wait 20 minutes just to move a light? And it just doesn't make any sense. So I thought, you know, like doing it, being able to get live feedback is, is, is great. And I think, you know, you, you know, you're, what you're thinking about in terms of these LED walls and where virtual production is, I, that's what I'm excited about. That's what I'm excited. Yeah. It's like live feedback and, and not just live feedback, but with the director there making that decision live as opposed to I'll see camera. it next week. <laughs> that's right. And in yeah. camera, right? Like any- that's your shot. Right. Yeah. Like we're good. Like it's a wrap. And yeah. And there's something really exciting about, I don't know, when, when you're on a stage and you've got that volume up and you're doing in camera compositing and yeah. you're able to say, actually, uh, we're at dusk right now, but let's make it nighttime. Turn on the stars. Uh, you know what? Right. Let's, let's, let's make it die. Let's make it daytime. And you can see all that just change. And mm-hmm. it's in camera with your talent and your talent can react to that. It, it's exciting. I mean, you're basically going from, you know, where are you at? You're taking six months compressing into one, one moment. And, right. and it, cause it really, it, sometimes it does It takes six months, right. To, right. to go from, um, being on stage, getting it because a visual effects company normally won't work on it on a shot until it's been edited. So you got to wait two or three months before the director has been able to edit it. Then we have the exact frame link that we're supposed to work on. And then we camera track it. And then we build the pan and tile setup or the, 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 the digital map painting for it or the 3D environment. And then we have a, a layout version and an animation version. And then finally we get a, a, a pre-comp, right? right? So three to six months later, you finally get to see something. And right. so that, that compression down into one day it's really exciting, not just from a visual effects standpoint, but from a creative standpoint, as a, I, I would imagine, as a director or a producer, because right. it's just so gratifying. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. I think I think that's that's true. Uh, that's true. So, uh, yeah. So I think yeah. I think you know. And the only way that's going to progress is if real time gets better and faster, right. right? Well, because what we're going to want to see is we're going to want to see trees moving and then we're going to want to see atmospherics and explosions and right. rain. And you know, people are going to want more and more in these scenes, right? Like right. right now, our scenes are pretty simple, right? They're simple landscapes or cityscapes deserts. or whatever, <laughs> deserts. And people lots are going to want to see more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, lots of rocks, right? And And as we start making these scenes more complex or rendering crowds, and people right. and creatures and everything else. It's, you know, and, and look, hardware is going to keep being released. That allows us to do more and more, right? This is right. convergence of like, of pipeline and software and hardware, right? That, that will get us to that point. Yeah, for sure. All right. We, we talked a little bit, I mean, you obviously, you mentioned, uh, you know, your startup and 2011 and the cloud and how, but today obviously cloud is, have, has a bigger impact on the industry or some ways. And, and you and I have talked a little bit about that. Tell me what your thoughts are on where cloud computing stands today and where you think it's going to, how you think it's going to affect the industry in some ways. Well, I, I, my experience at studios is we've used both Amazon and Google. I haven't used Azure yet, but it's, it's going to be up to par with everybody else if it isn't already. Mm-hmm. And uh, it saved my bacon on multiple occasions. I mean, okay. I could say right now, had we not utilized cloud resourcing, we wouldn't have been able to deliver certain projects. So right. uh, we were able to render, you know, I think it was a month's worth of rendering within a 3D weekend. I couldn't have done that back in the day. A DD, we, we, right. I, I think a building would have caught on fire. 
you know? Right. So, you know, like it's just, or there just wouldn't have been resources to do it. Like you, you would have just not been able to d- deliver. You would yeah. have just stacked up the farm and you would have waited weeks. And right. so, you know, I, that, that's just on the rendering side, but from workstations to, I mean, look at even our, our physical storage, right? Optical drives, optical drives have a shelf life, solid state have, have, you know, have, you know, reliability issues over time. So, mm-hmm. you know, cloud-based storage, cloud-based workstations and rendering to me, that's the future. I, I, I believe that since 2011, right? I mean, that's why right. I did that whole thing is I just think that it's silly for us to have on-prem gear um, sure. as, as the latency of, of the, the artist workstation to, or when I say the artist work from the artist viewing and interaction to what you have on the cloud is that becomes a non-issue, which in a lot of cases it is. And as we're able to stream 4k at, 24, 48, whatever, and multiple, mm-hmm. you know, higher frame rates through, you know, that then, I mean, at some point we're going to get into the speed of light issues and, you know, there's all sorts of things, but I really do think that it's where we're going to be as an industry, uh, even a security standpoint, right? Like all of your data is in the cloud. It's all on a tier one, you know, way more secure facility than anything you could have being in LA, right. At, right. at a, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a facility. So, uh, I think it, it just solves a lot of it, collaboration, right. Being able to tap into multiple artists around the globe, being able to tran- have one place where all your data is constantly being backed up. So even from a, from a secure, like from a, um, a backup and, and you know, like, disaster recovery type thing. It's all there. You know, it's not on site. You could have an earthquake in LA and you don't, don't worry about it. Your, your internet severed, but all the data is in the cloud. Um, right. So, you know, I don't know. It's just, I can't imagine us not being fully cloud-based at some point. Yeah. I think it makes sense. It makes sense. What about, uh, you know, you mentioned the latency thing, right? But what about that for virtual production? I mean, do you think that there are going to be solutions that are going to work for virtual production and to be able to tap into a huge amount of compute. Because sometimes if you want to, you want to keep just adding more stuff and stuff and stuff, then you can just add more and more compute power to it. Right. Yeah. But, but there's, you know, there's edge computing, there's other things of that nature. Do you think that's going to start to come into play when it comes to virtual production as well? Or. Well, virtual production right now, you still have, I mean, you're putting multiple 4k outputs together on these large screens. Or, you know, whatever, real-time rendering. You got to have your virtual art department on the stage. There's a significant amount of hardware required to do that. And and right now, having a closed system due to security and everything based on the sound stage, there's going to be a requirement to have local hardware. But it's going to be different than, say, a VFX studio where you have hundreds of artists and you need to have everyone needs to have workstations and render nodes and storage. It's a much smaller footprint compared to an entire facility. Right. You may have a small server room, but a lot of your long term storage and, you know, your your main assets that you have could be still remote. And then you just push all the stuff you need for that, what you need on set for that day to local workstations. Right. So, you know, that's still a lot of experimental stuff that we're dealing with right now in terms of, you know, what ends up being virtualized and what's not virtualized, what's on prem and what's not. But yeah, I, I think cloud computing is something that will be utilized in virtual production. Um, it's just, there's a lot more, just 
just on the LED side of things, there's a lot more gear required to get that that those those streaming 4K in real time to the screens. Sure. Um, but but you know uh, you know as technology progresses and hardware gets better, you know who knows where it will lead us. Yeah. What are you the most looking forward to? Like, what do you think is going to really change things? Like, okay, once we have that, then I'm going to be set. <laughs> well, I think once real-time rendering catches up to creatures and animation and, and effect simulation, and we can do things in camera, once cameras can, I mean, we already have some of that right now, but once we'll know where our talent is, right, in camera, and we can layer things truly as a composite in real time. So the more we can do in camera, the better. And I, so I'm excited for what can be done in virtual production on set. And then um, also, you know, just, and, you know, as we start doing this, our feature animation becomes more photorealistic. I mean, that's what's been so, so awesome about Love, Death and Robots, right? Is that, yeah. you know, you, you start seeing some really impressive work come out of, animation right full mm -hmm. cg and so i i just think that uh that convergence of like where we get in this whole ready player one type way of storytelling right and right. uh, that that's what's exciting to me is just just pushing the bounds of what we can do technically yeah 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 that's i think that that's going to be exciting i think you're right that you know when we're solving the real-time problem rendering is only part of it right like hair simulation and cloth sim, right? Cloth sim yeah. in real time doesn't look as good as when it's simmed offline. Right. <laughs> right? That's right. And, and, and fluid how sims many iterations and, and fluid sims, explosions, you can't do those in real time the same way, right? Yeah. So you can have libraries, right? You and you can have, have cached, cached animation that allows you to, you know, see what that looks like and maybe have versions of that. But yeah, it, it, that's where it gets complex. Right. Yep. Yeah. Rendering is only but, half the problem. <laughs> but, you know, I think having stock, you know, libraries of simulation, right? I mean, at mm -hmm. some point it's an iterative process and you have things that are very custom, right? Sure. Like throw a rock and it hits the water, you know, there's only certain things. But, you know, I think right now we have a lot of stock imagery for, you know, photography-based stuff. I, you know, And we have stuff for models, but I think... Right. You know, simulations will start having stock libraries and, you know, things, things where, um, you know, crowds, you know, stock imagery for crowds and things like, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. already there's probably things like that out there already, but I think you'll start seeing more of it. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, actually it just, uh, asset libraries is going to be a big deal. That's right. General okay. asset libraries, you know, environments, yeah. people, you know, ob, you know, whatever. It's just. Uh, and effects, you know, libraries of, of 3D effects and simulations, I think will be something that will be valuable to us, especially as we're yeah. doing more real-time stuff. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, what about AI? What do you think about AI right now, how that's going to impact us? Do you have any thoughts on well, that? Well, I think we're seeing that with humans a lot, right? Digital humans, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, AI and machine learning for, uh, you know, predictive facial movement and what faces are going to look like. And, you know, this whole deep fake type thing. I mean, that's, that's a, I think a huge part of AI mm -hmm. also, you know, when it comes to 
auto rig removal and paint outs and things that, you know, used to, uh, that are currently manual labor, that might, you know, AI might be able to solve those issues. Camera tracking, right? AI right. camera tracking. We've, that's already been in place. It just is just going to get better. Right. Um, I still think that at some point, creative is going to be creative, right? AI can never truly replace creative. It will never no. be able to tell stories and be able to composite a shot the way your eye really wants it to be because those are choices, right? And AI can predict, but to, to tell a story, I think it will be challenging for AI to do. I don't know. Who knows? Asimov predicted that it would happen sooner than, so, you know, just, well, I think, I think, I think the way that I always look at it is that, uh, AI or especially any, any kind of machine learning process is based on something that's already been done before. So it'll only do something based on what's already been done. And a lot of the creative ideas come out of things that have never been done. So uh, AI can't get there unless it's already been done before. So that's, that's what my feeling is about it. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, And look, we, even if AI might come up with a something that looks really good, we may want to change it to look worse, right? I mean, it's a, that's <laughs> yeah. a creative choice. I mean, yeah. you know, direct, directors are directors and they may decide to do whatever they want to do. But um, yeah, I just, uh, at some point, I think AI will aid in our ability to iterate faster. Yeah. Again, you know? so it all comes down to iterations again, right? That's what it's Always. coming out to. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And maybe that's just me because I'm just think too much as a producer, but I'm always like, how can I get stuff done faster? How can I increase that feedback time? How do I keep people more efficient? And mm-hmm. it's really always comes down to iterations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I really look back at, you know, back in the day when I was doing lighting, it was, oh my God, it was the most inefficient thing possible, you know, because what it was is like, you know, I show up on the day, right. And I'd have to wait for compositing to comp my shots to see sure. what it was going to look like. And then, so most of the time I'm just kind of noodling around on my computer, guessing what's going to happen. Right. And then finally I get the, the feedback from the compositor of what my lighting from the day before looked like. And then I have to do all, all night. I got to prepare to just like get all my lighting stuff on the farm and then get it on the farm so it could render overnight. And then it would come back. So it's basically just one version a day per shot. Right. And it's guesswork too, right? Like you're yeah. looking at what happened in the comp, assuming that if you change these sliders around, it might improve what you see back in comp the next time you render. Right. But who knows? Let's see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many how many times did a lighter throw something on a farm because it was a guess? You know? <laughs> Every time. Most almost. of the time, yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yep. And when you see 45 versions of a shot, that's like 45 days that that thing has been on the floor. Or more. (laughs) Or more. more. And we've been, I've, yeah. And we've all been there in the shots that take hundreds of versions, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, we've been rendering this shot for a year. I I mean, we all (laughs) have been there, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. So I'm like, I'm excited for the technology advances. I think, well, in like, you know, we, we've talked about this before too, things like Omniverse, right? Collaborative right. working in scenes where multiple artists can can see what each other are doing in, in, in real time is, is exciting too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And you, you mentioned this, you know, we, we've been chatting about this for a little bit, but you know, not on the podcast, but uh, just the idea of, you know, people working not just next to each other, but 
inside the scene together, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to be an exciting part of it. So like, oh, you're doing that part and I can look over in my scene to see what you're doing. And so we can all see how this is all happening in in real time. So uh, pretty exciting for sure. Well, a lot of our day-to-day work in visual effects is mentoring, right? You have senior artists that are mentoring junior artists and leads that are mentoring seniors and supervisors. And to be able to be in a collaborative platform where you can show someone by moving a light, we do this. Or, I mean, how how many times do notes just get miscommunicated or verbals just get miscommunicated? And our industry, right? We have artists that come from all over the globe working in one place. I remember there was this time, this is a real communication issue that happened at Sony. We had an artist that we had grass and glass that had to be communicated, right? And this artist is mixing up grass was glass and glass is grass. And so it, it just even tasks were getting miscommunicated just based off of a language barrier issue, right? right? And so, and, and so when you're in a scene together and you'd be like, here, do this. It's like, right. huh, you don't need to explain that to me verbally. We could be having two different languages. You could have artists that speak completely different languages working in a scene together and be communicating. That, that, right. That's cool. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, this is very exciting. I love, I love the vision of your future. Uh, it's, uh, it's going to be an exciting place to get to. And I've, we've gone over time, but that's perfectly fine. Steve, I really appreciate you, uh, yeah. you know, communicating with us and, and getting connect with you again. It's been, you know, we've known each other like close to 20 years, like you said. So it's been kind of fun to, 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 to reconnect because it has been, it's been too long, honestly. It's, it's been, been too a long time. It's been a long time. So maybe at some point soon we can get together in person now that we're actually Absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thanks, Steve. I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, thanks so much.